Welcome, everybody. It's the Thanksgiving weekend edition of Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Really glad you're here. Got a good hour planned for you. On the way, should you include pets in your estate plans? Maybe. More people are. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about discordant retirement. When you get into retirement and you're not on the same page as your spouse, we would like to help you prevent that. And then toward the end of the show, we're going to talk about caring for aging parents because it's something that we all you know, face from time to time, and it's a struggle. And if you've got the right setup in mind, it, it'll help for sure. We do investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. But as you listen to this show, you'll see that we do a whole lot more because what our clients do and how they live their life is important to us, and we want to help. My name is Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. Have you uh, have you worked off all that turkey and stuffing quite yet? Uh, it's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, have been doing that. And, and of course, you know, we look at the markets and the markets were closed early on Friday, just a half day, but ended in the green, fortunately. And of course, uh, over 4,000 on the S&P 500. And that's been an interesting ride. You'll remember that at the beginning of this year, we traded as high as 4,800 on the S&P, but as low as in the 3,000. So we're kind of in the middle, Derek, and we're going to have to see how we end the rest of the year. Right. I mean, typically the seasonality would suggest we would rally into year-end. However, in bear market years, that's not as pronounced as it is in other conditions in terms of monetary policy and the rest. And, you know, the cardinal thing is, you know, don't fight the Fed. And the Fed is continuing to tighten. They're going to raise rates again in December, probably 50 basis points. That's a Fed funds rate. But they're also reducing their balance sheet. And that takes liquidity out of the marketplace. So we expect volatility to remain higher than what we're accustomed to. We think there are gonna be great opportunities and ultimately, when the Fed does p- finally pivot and cut rates, that's when the market really can run. And so let's talk about that. So there's that term is probably you're going you're to hear a lot of that in 23. And the term air quotes right now, folks, pivot is a long ways away. So what we expect is what in air quotes here, folks, is pause, right? So do they go through into early 2023 and look at the data and begin to pause the rate increases? That's what we're going to look for. So 50 basis points in December, we'll see what the Fed sees in early 23, and then perhaps they just stand aside and watch how uh, higher interest rates get digested. And what's and what's really amazing, the strength of the labor market, the strength of the U.S. economy, the Atlanta Fed is currently thinking that fourth quarter GDP could be up 3% in real terms. So this is not a recession by any means. So the Fed has a lot of room to raise rates higher in order to stifle demand, which hopefully will bring down inflation in the long run. And let me just try to clean that up because you say in in any measure. So we did have two back-to-back quarters, and a lot of economists will certainly argue the fact that that is the technical definition, and that's what we had earlier in 2022. As we go into 23 and these interest rate hikes begin to kick in, we largely expect a major slowdown in the second half of next year. All you have to do is talk to a friend of yours who's a realtor. They'll tell you things are softening. No no doubt. And that is the wealth effect, right? The reverse wealth effect. Your house price goes down a little bit. Your stock portfolio goes down a little bit. Maybe you don't spend as much on that vacation or maybe you don't take a vacation at all. So that's what the Fed is trying to do because these inflationary pressures do tend to persist for longer than people expect. And of course, we all know this is a story that's been beat to death about the inflation. I was uh, interesting, Derek, is earlier this week I was paging through some notes and I found the notes from one year ago. uh, And this is exactly what we were talking about. We were talking about the Fed has been 
too accommodative. They have put too much fuel into the fire, and now they're going to have to walk it back. And they haven't been able to do that quite yet. But we knew this more than a year ago, long before they even began to start with their rate increases in March of this year. So at the end of 2021 and early 22, they were still pouring it in. And so it's going to take a while for this to take effect. Right. And and monetary policy, and they know this, it operates with a lag. It takes some time. People get adjusted to certain conditions. We have also the potential of a, a railroad strike. I mean, we have distillate fuel, diesel fuel trading at ridiculous prices, shortages potentially during the winter. We all hope something happens positive out of Ukraine and Russia. But again, there's so many different things. And that's why, you know, when I think about what we do well, it's tactical investing. We take advantage of opportunities when they exist and we rotate based on what we think is going to go on in the future. And that's a defensive strategy, folks, that he's talking about. So having a balanced portfolio and around the outside of that balanced portfolio, do you overweight or underweight particular sectors or ideas or strategies? And that's what Derek is talking about. And that really is just the basic part of asset allocation and diversifying your portfolio, which is a basic defensive technique that we employ. Dave, uh, you mentioned uh, your notes from a year ago. Can I see your notes from this week? I'd like to know what happens in a year. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to watch that. And, of course, uh, folks, that is really why we put this out is so people understand there are things to do in times like this. Uh, Derek used a great phrase that I like, what we do well. What we do is investment and retirement planning and tax planning and estate planning. We build a complete plan using the power of the entire Annex team, not just the folks you hear on the radio shows, but our entire stacked team. And we do it as a fee-only fiduciary, and we can do it for you. Let's get you in shape for next year and beyond. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Reminder, we can review available on demand this weekend, our YouTube channel, the Axiom Newsletter on Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. That's what we do as a fee-only fiduciary. And you can start, yep, even on a long weekend. Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. In the studio, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Riding along is Dave Spano, our President and CEO. You know, it's a big retail weekend, as we all know. And, of course, it goes way back to uh, the Black Friday deals. And, of course, Black Friday, because by definition, that's when the retailers used to become profitable. They went from red to black back in the day. But uh, the retail is really interesting right now because the consumer, folks, is under, as you all know, is under a lot of pressure. Saving rates are down. Consumer debt is up. In fact, almost to an all-time high. We all know about inflation. Asset prices, Derek talked about the wealth effect. That means that your stock portfolio and your housing prices are down. And of course, mortgage rates are up. All of that puts pressure on individuals to go out. So they're looking for deals and they're probably playing a little discount chicken. (laughs) They certainly are. But as you know, Dave, the labor market is super hot. The unemployment rate is 3.7%. That's one of the lowest readings since you and I have been in the business. So the economy continues to do well. We know what the Fed is trying to do. We know the supply chains are getting better. We know commodity prices have rolled over. But just because the Fed stops hiking the Fed funds rate doesn't mean that's an easing policy. It's still restrictive because those rates are going to remain high and higher than they've been in the last decade. In the last decade, that's correct. And of course, you talk about retailers and what they're going to be able to do. And of course, I saw something interesting, Danny, the other day that Walmart is now a bigger search engine than Amazon when it comes to deals that over this weekend. Yeah, Amazon is 
kind of hitting some right. tough spot, right? right? Of Aren't course, they? and Walmart, Walmart of uh. all places, right? No, really, it's a good stock. It's really done well. In fact, there was a big story, Danny, as you well know, between Walmart and Target, and Target missed substantially because of theft, the theft, shrinkage, the fu- yeah, shrinkage. That's they a call bigger it. story now because it's either stuff's falling off the truck, yeah, you know, in the, right, the uh, right, air quotes, right, or it's getting walked out the door. Right, four hundred million dollars of organized theft is what Target related to, and of course, uh, Derek, you know, we talk about the retailers and the opportunities that we're going to see, but this is the time of year that there is an opportunity set in some of those spaces. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are certain companies that have positioned well on online. There's there are others that are doing a great job in terms of cost controls and the rest. Uh, The one thing I'd like to leave people with, you know, as we go into the holiday season is we have had a really strong rally since uh, the the lows at 3,500, about 15% or so, a lot of short covering, a lot of volatile moves and the rest. And if you were uncomfortable when the S&P was at 3,500 and now it's above 4,000, now would be a really good time to take a look and say, you know what? What are two or three companies that I own or, or two or three mutual funds that I own that really haven't performed that well? Maybe take them off. You know, right. maybe raise a little bit of cash, have some dry powder because the Fed is not done and they won't be done until they break something. So, you know, we talked about some defensive strategies at the end of last segment and I was really talking about diversifying your portfolio. But, you know, as you go and call C-U-L-L winners, that is one of the things that you look at is you say what has done well, what hasn't done well, and of course you call your losers as well, and you say maybe this there's a better opportunity set. So I often say know what you own and why you own it, and that's what I mean by that, is what is in your portfolio and why do you own it, and maybe a sector that you owned a year ago is not the right place, Derek. Well, as an example, to me, energy is the right place to be for the next five years because there's been underinvestment and great dividend yields. Technology, probably over-owned. People probably own too much technology. And these companies have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger- Let me just say, but you can own technology, but you're talking about the eight big companies. Technology is still with us. It's just what technology stocks do you own? Oh, absolutely. You want to be positioned in artificial intelligence. You want to be in semiconductors. But these larger companies that have depended on ad spending, for example, and just viewership, they, they're going to have a problem because it's harder to grow from the levels they're at. And they those stocks tend to not just underperform, go sideways for a long period of time. Innovation is always about technology, and there are always new, smaller companies that are ahead of the curve, that are nimble, and will take advantage of things as they develop. And you talk about ideas, you know, we all know about the FTX debacle, mm-hmm. which is the crypto trading platform, but behind that, folks, is something called blockchain technology, and that's not going away. Despite all of this uh, crookedness that's coming out of the Bahamas, Blockchain technology is still a valuable idea. There is places for technology in your portfolio. What Derek is talking about is the really big companies that have dominated the indexes. That is the way we think. That is the way we operate, and we can do it for you as well. Annex Wealth Management very simply takes care of four key areas, investment planning, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. And we work them together because that is how the plan operates. Can we do it for you? How are you feeling about who you're working with? Maybe there are some doubts. Maybe it's not anybody. Can we get you across the finish line? Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Hey, if your pets are a big part of the family, have you considered including them in your estate plan? More people are. We'll cover that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. In 2020, 68 million U.S. households had pets. 
their companions. They provide support. In many cases, they're total and complete family members. Now, we've covered passion assets quite a bit at Annex Wealth Management, but between client inquiries and a number of webinars and in-person meetings, it's clear our pets are a passion asset. Amy Kiskala is here to talk about it. She's a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Amy. Thanks, Danny. You know, I've struggled on this because many times I've thought nobody wants to learn about estate planning for pets, but you're a pet owner. We've got three golden retrievers. In fact, this really came to light in our family when we had an old estate plan that was done before I started working at Annex Wealth Management. And part of it was if something happened to my wife and I, the dogs would go to a certain branch of the family. Well, that's not a possibility anymore. We really don't have something, and it would kill us if something happened to our pets and they didn't have that quality. It's important to people, isn't it? It absolutely is. We love our pets. As an estate planning attorney in private practice, I drafted many plans where we did exactly that, talked about what happens to those pets upon death or incapacity. I'm not making it up in this studio. We had somebody in that line of work, and they said... I'm not making this up. They said they had done an estate plan for a monkey. You know, I believe it. You know, monkeys are probably expensive to maintain, and you got to have the right person that's willing to take a monkey into the home. Right. When people think about estate planning for pets, maybe they think of Leona Helmsley, the American businesswoman who died in 2007, and she left a $12 million trust fund to her dog. And that was kind of the poster child for maybe excess, maybe. That's an extreme. But for people who love their pets and they care deeply for them, it's not unusual to have something set up to take care of them. And it's important because it's estimated that more than 500,000 pets are euthanized because their pet parent died or became disabled. Is this an estate plan for a pet or is this part of a larger estate plan? You definitely want to think about it as part of a larger estate plan. That's exactly what we're doing with estate planning is putting together the right decisions and documents to take care of the people and things that we love at our, at our death. And that includes our pets. Is this something that, let's start simply, what about incapacity? Is Are there provisions for that? There are. There are. Now, it can be very informal, right? Like somebody can just take your pet into their home and take care of it. With all good planning, it's good to have the right documentation in place. So for uh, during a lifetime, you might have a pet care authorization form, maybe even a wallet card saying who you're designating to take care of that pet. You might also think about that financial power of attorney. So if you want to make sure that somebody has an authority to pay the expenses for the pet, maybe you specifically mention that in your financial power of attorney. Well, kids are expensive. Pets are expensive too, right? There's the food, there's the medical care, there's all those things. Are there provisions for that? There are. There are. So when we think about our documents that take place at death, right, that's another place where we want to mention what we want to happen to our pet and how we want that pet taken care of. So you might just put a bequest in a will or maybe a living trust to say, hey, Jane's going to take my dog and I'm going to leave her a sum of money to pay for that dog. You can actually even go farther, though. And again, it's going to depend on on what your state law allows, but it is possible to create something like a pet trust, a little bit like Leon Hemsley did. You know, again, I struggle with this topic, but I think and I know people who love their pets and it's important and they would want this for them. Others, yeah, they're going to go to the Farmer Wilsons, right? right? And think about think about the monkey or a horse or a turtle. They can live a very long time and might be very expensive to take care of, in which case you might think about going to that level of creating that pet trust. And if you do, one of the things you want to think about is, well, what happens if there's money left at the end? Where are those funds going 
going to go? Are they going to go to a charity designated for animal causes or back to maybe a human beneficiary? Yeah, yeah. Well, these are great thoughts. Where would somebody start? What's the best spot to start? Like start by having a great conversation with your advisors, your financial advisor, your estate planning attorney about what your goals and intentions are and what makes sense. And then work with an estate planning attorney to put a good estate plan in place. Great. And folks, if you are listening to this and saying, oh, I'm not alone, I, I would worry about my pets. Amy and I are here for you, right? We are. Yeah. Amy Kiskala is a wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Stay tuned, more to come. Bottom of the hour, let's get caught up and head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. This is a team segment. Deanne Phillips is here. She's Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management, CFP, a CDFA, Wealth Manager at Annex. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Danny. All right, we're going to talk about passion assets. So there's stocks, bonds, annuities, and a bunch of other investment vehicles. What makes something a passion asset? Right. So what you were referring to before is titled property, like real estate investments, you know, even really cars. So we're talking about your furniture, the dishes, sporting equipment, musical instruments, collection of toys, even photos, even pets are considered passion assets. Because emotion is attached to them? Yeah, I think so. There are stories around those things. There are things that do not pass by beneficiary designation. And so that's really kind of a key point here. Is the goal when we're talking about passion assets, the eventual distribution being a joyful exercise? (laughs) I think it's something that people can get in fights. For sure. So let me ask you this. Have you ever moved? Yeah. Uh huh. (laughs) Does anyone really like moving? I mean, it's all about your stuff. And I always hear as a planner when people are looking to right size in retirement, they'll say, oh my gosh, I have to start with this basement because I've just been collecting all this stuff and I have to sort it out between the stuff that I want to keep, the stuff that's junk, the stuff I can donate and the stuff other people might want. And so if they're already categorizing stuff other people might want and the stuff they want to keep, other than just the utilitarian things that they need, they're really talking about that stuff that they're connected to. And usually there's a story there. The question comes in, do your kids or other people really want that stuff or do we think they'll want it? And this is something that you want to do while you're still alive? I definitely, we want to do this while we're still alive. I mean, I'm looking at my 15-year-old kid, you know, she, I, I have certain collections, she could care less about all those collections. And for the most part, I think there was a magazine article that came out a couple of years ago. Your kids don't want your old stuff, right? And that's very, very true. However, one of the exceptions could be where there's been a ritual that's been created around it. Like, for example, I know every Christmas my daughter loves, because she's grown up with this, to sit with me and we put up the tree and we take out all the ornaments and there are stories behind certain ornaments. And that means a lot to her. That's actually a passion asset with a multi-generational connection that she will want to continue. A lot of times we make the assumption that if something is really important to us, a thing, it'll be important to people who are important to us. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, the number one item that people, the next generations really just don't want is books. If you think about the evolution of the hardback book and even textbooks now into electronic, you know, and people, even people who love the feel and the smell of books like me, right, will still use a Kindle because it's convenient. So there's a big difference between somebody's 1965 
Corvette Stingray, and then a collection of thimbles from around the world. Is that where the troubles start? Well, somewhat, because there's a valuation on that 65 Chevy, right? And so this is why it's important that you understand what actually has a value of your passion assets and what has that emotional value, because they're very different. So kind of as a rule of thumb, if it's something that you would do a writer on an insurance for, then there's some value and there's been some research done on that, right? And probably there might be somebody out there who wants it, whether you're going to sell it or whether they're going to inherit it. A little different with a thimble collection, right? There might be one or two that are pretty cool, but for the most part, that's a hobby on an asset that was just cool for you as a hunter and gatherer to find. Let's talk about the sad case where somebody has passed and you have to go through somebody's house. What is the best method to divide those passion assets? I mean, I've heard of even people going through. It's almost like a draft where people kind of go through and put stickers on things. Yeah, stickers. uh, The thing about that is, though, like, you know, you can itemize things in a will and say who gets what. The sticker method is not official. So the executor of the estate can go through and discount it if they want. I mean, you'd hope that you pick an executor who follows your wishes, but you have to be really careful on all that stuff. Oh, tell me the Civil War story. I love that one. Okay, so um, in going through my parents' stuff, I found family letters from the Civil War, and I have my grandpa's on both sides uniforms from World War One. This is really cool stuff. So this is definitely a passion asset, something I would want to keep. There also is, besides sentimental value, there could be some sort of sellable value on that. But more importantly, I was thinking, you know, um, who couldn't get enjoyment out of this? Would the Civil War Museum want this? That way it's not just me keeping it, you know, in a dust-free environment to pull out if you come to my house to see it. But this way it's sharing it. And everybody has that kind of stuff if they've kept stuff through the years that could kind of go to the public for a greater good. So that's a way to donate and maybe share a passion asset as well. Deanne Phillips, our Director of Client Learning and Development, Annex Wealth Management, joining us. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, that's what we do at Annex Wealth Management, and we do it as a fee-only fiduciary website, AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. We're in Elm Grove. We're in Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton. We're downtown Milwaukee, right inside the Pfister, Madison, Naples, Florida, and Libertyville, Illinois, or as close as your computer, it's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Back in a bit on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Keith. Always a pleasure, Danny. Caring for aging parents is tough, and things can get complicated in a hurry. Those who are called upon with the crucial task of caring for elderly parents can benefit from planning ahead, both emotionally and financially. While some of the developments may be out of our control, there are a few things that we can do to soften the impact. And Keith, that's what we're going to talk about. And this is just really something that I went through. After my mom died and my parents were living in Arizona, my dad actually reached out to my sister and said, will you let me know when you think it's time that I come home? And that really gets into the, you need to have the talk. Oh, that's awesome, Danny. I really love to hear that because so often you hear just the opposite where people get, you know, into their, well, it varies by individual, maybe their late 80s into their 90s. And it gets to the point where they really can't drive anymore. And that's a loss of independence. So having that open line of communication is so important. And a lot of people express frustration because 
they want them to leave their house because they can't handle the house anymore living alone. They, they should have a little apartment or something or perhaps assisted living because they can't handle all of their daily activities and everything. And you know, one of the things I've often said is, you know, people complain about that. And I always say, well, the one thing is when we get to be that age, we'll be perfectly reasonable, won't sure. we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know um, we won't, right? Yeah. But that is a great start because communication is such a, you know, it's a theme we talk about when we talk about planning among families, whether it's estate planning or otherwise, it's to the extent you're able to do so. The communication is the key. Keeping all the kids, as we'll say, on the same page is really important. Keith, is that something where in the initial conversation you say to mom or dad, how much do you want us to help or mom, dad, can we, can we take things from here so you don't have to? I think that's certainly the starting point. You start as soft as possible. I always say start with the easiest solution and see if that works. Yeah. And a nice soft angle like that is it will be appreciated at any stage. You know, can I help? Yeah, absolutely. And then if they don't, then slowly you have to maybe push back a little bit. Where do you even start and wherever you start, it's important to have everything documented. It really is. The important things is to have powers of attorney. And there's two types. There's durable powers of attorney for financial matters, which you should have in any event, regardless of age, because something can happen. You can have a stroke at any time, or maybe you're traveling overseas, or for any one of many reasons, you would want a trusted family member, let's assume an adult child, to be able to handle the finances on your behalf. Secondly, there was a health care power of attorney. And there are really two different types of health care directives. One is a power of attorney, and that is where you give another person, presumably a child or a spouse, the right to make health care decisions on your behalf if you're unable to communicate your wishes. And the other is what we know as a living will, a declaration to physicians. They're completely different things. A declaration to physicians is a statement to the world, this is what I want. A healthcare power of attorney says, this guy knows what I want, ask him. Say healthcare providers prefer the latter. They prefer to have a healthcare power of attorney because there's someone telling them what to do. If you have only a directive for a living will, a directive to physicians, then the physician has to make the decision, are these conditions met? And often not completely clear as to whether or not these conditions are met. Caring for aging parents, we're talking to Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management about it. It is a big responsibility, but can be done. Another point to consider is prepare financially and physically for health care costs. How is that structured? Well, that is a vulnerability, too. You know, we go through people's financial plans all the time uh, with our clients, and uh, often we're able to tell them, yeah, your financial plan looks successful under the assumptions we put in. It's, It's a mathematical calculation. What's the vulnerability? Often the vulnerability is a health event. And the unfortunate thing about that is that's not something you can control. I mean, if you have people that are maybe overspending, you know, their lifestyle, they have the ability to cut that back. Something happens from a health standpoint, there's nothing you can really do about that. There are products, there's long-term care insurance that is a life insurance sort of product um, that can be expensive and you have to qualify from a medical standpoint to get that insurance, but that is one way to cover it and for folks that do have those policies, they're extremely helpful. There's another possibility too, Danny, and that is you think about life insurance and people have life insurance throughout their working lives to protect their income stream, right? A breadwinner, maybe a both spouse are breadwinners, Something happens to them that fall off in income has a negative impact to the family, so they buy life insurance to fund that. It makes complete sense. But then when people retire, that need sort of goes away, probably. 
Now, if you have an insurance product that has a cash value component to it, it may be possible to repurpose that policy into a new sort of life insurance policy that has a long-term care component. To oversimplify a bit, if the policy is, let's say, a $500,000 death benefit, you may be able to make that into a hybrid policy, which could advance some of that money if you have a long-term health care need, whether it's a nursing home, somebody taking care of you inside your home, something of that sort. It's just the start of a discussion, but it's an important discussion. It's one, if you need somebody to help, Annex Wealth Management is qualified to do that. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. And this is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We are back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify at the top of the hour. So if you came in partway through as you're traveling on a Thanksgiving weekend, that would be a great place. So look for us on Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Now joined in the studio by Mark Beck, Managing Director of Wealth Management Services. Welcome. Thank you. People are driving around this weekend and uh, doing some shopping and maybe listening to some Christmas music. But here, here's some good news as well. There was a big raise for savers uh, this year because interest rates went up and they began to get paid for saving. And Social Security checks are going to go up substantially, Mark, 8.7%. That's the biggest raise we've seen since 1980. And a $5 reduction in your Medicare right. Part B premium. So a double whammy. Exactly. Because, you know, by the way, that does happen. So they raise the Social Security and then they take it back on the Medicare Part B. Well, they the Medicare Part B went down and Social Security went up, so a double whammy. There you go. So if you're out driving around because you're shopping, a little extra money for spending. And of course, you talk about uh, Social Security, and, and I was reading the report, and you know, there's an earnings test that you must take. And you know, Dan, you always talk about uh, a secondary gig or the gig economy, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you had decided to retire or unretire and came back, you have to pay attention to where that gets taken back because there's an earnings test that is in place. I got a buddy who was an exec at a company, and he retired, and he's now working. I think he's at at a hardware place. Yeah. And I said, you you know, you got to watch how much you're going to make. He goes, oh, I listen to your show. Oh, yeah. So Ace is the place, right? <laughs> so you go and they look at it and they make sure that when you get over a certain number that they begin to tax your Social Security. And of course, uh, you know, there is some bad news, though, for those high income workers. I read that uh, Social Security taxes are now up to $160,000 where that cutoff, you know, you'll remember not that long ago, it was 125000 Mark. That continued to went up and that went up 9% this year. Yeah. Yeah, creeps up along with that inflation rate, so the cost of living adjustment there. And, you know, of course, what you're talking about, the Social Security, people that start before their full retirement age. So if you retired and you're past that and you're taking Social Security, you're fine to continue to work and earn as much as you want. It's really younger than that full retirement age. you got to key in on that. Otherwise, you're giving back a big portion of that Social Security benefit. And the reason I bring this all up, Mark, and you're really good at this, we talk about the three-legged stool. So explain to the listeners what that is. Yeah, you know, you're going to have Social Security, which is going to cover some of your retirement income. And for our higher income earners and you know more higher net worth folks, it's a smaller percentage. If you're fortunate enough, you might have the second leg, which is a pension. And that's where you've got this kind of guaranteed income stream. And then for a lot of people and more and more and more as we progress, what you're really counting on is your own personal savings. So building that nest egg that you're going to rely on during your retirement years. So those three legs are what's building the stool so you can spend more time in retirement. You know, we 
get a lot of questions on Social Security for obvious reason, and it is a big part of a lot of Americans' pay. I mean, 25% of Americans get all of their income when they retire from Social Security. So there's always a question, especially from younger people, you might get this from your kids, is, you know, will Social Security even be around? But, you know, we all know about this trust fund depletion that's happening, and will it run out in 2035? This is something that's been talked about since President Clinton. I mean, it's been around a long time. Let's try to ease people's concerns because even if the trust fund gets depleted, Social Security is not going away. Right, because it's a pay-as-you-go system. So all current workers are paying into the system to pay benefits for retirees or people collecting off of that. So the cushion is there so that you know we can build longevity to the plan. And really, Dave, it's a math problem, right? right? I mean, this is one of the easier ones to solve because you just look at the inputs and the outputs and you make the adjustments, whether it's increase the tax rate or that cap on the right. amount of taxable income or right. so on. There's two levers they can pull. So mm-hmm. let's just kind of wrap this up now. And the reason why I bring it all up is when the financial planners and wealth managers that we have, they meet with folks that what do they do? Tell us about the screen that's up and the people stand in front of the screen and do this presentation. Yeah, you know, bring together expenses, lifestyle expectation, resources, project that out? Where am I headed? What's the likelihood that I'm going to be successful? Define your own success. You know, Last dollar, last breath, or you want to leave a legacy to family or to charity. But you project all of that out and bring those things together. And where the rubber meets the road is the sequencing of some of these kinds of things, finding the right recipe that is most effective and efficient for you. I've gone through the process just within the last month. And it's one of these things that we've talked about on the shows for years. And until I actually went through it with my wife, did I really realize how in-depth the planning is. And we didn't even start with the investment portfolio. We talked more about what is it that you want to do in retirement. And yes, you can do it. And here's how we're going to do it. And I said, well, shouldn't I take Social Security now? No. And here's why. Now, that was for my case. But again, each plan is different, Mark. It is, absolutely. And you know that's where the really important things happen, the decision-making points, the sequencing of those decisions. You can move the needle so dramatically for people in terms of financial security, tax efficiency, distribution strategy. It's so important. Of course, we're going to do a great job managing the investment portfolio. That's important as well. But bringing all of that together on a comprehensive plan is really you know, the key to the success. Mark Beck is Managing Director of Wealth Management Services. Thanks for jumping on today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Thank you. Nice show as usual, Danny. Thank you. Folks, I know we can help. Head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. You click the Get Started button. Thanks for listening, folks. It means a lot. We're going to see you back here next Saturday at 10 o'clock. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.